Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Storycraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe podcast. Are you planning to participate in NaNoWriMo this year? Every November, this uh, writing challenge that spans the entire writing community takes off and we all try to write a 50,000 word novel within 30 days. It's, it's a beautiful thing. People come together to support each other. And, you know, the greatest thing about it is people learn that they can do it. They can get from start to finish in 30 days. And then if you can do that, then you can replicate that over and over and then, you know, expand it to whatever makes you happy. Well, we're going to do a special Preptober, and that's an October challenge where we are going to brainstorm and see how you can use Dabble to bring your story from idea to finished draft. And we're going to be kicking that off in October. Go to storycraft.cafe. That's where we post all of our upcoming events and news. And I'll be posting in the next day or two there at storycraft.cafe with uh, kind of how we're going to get it going. So storycraft.cafe, learn to write a novel with Dabble in Preptober. And you'll be ready when November rolls around and NaNoWriMo kicks off and you can write your novel in 30 days. Now, on to this amazing interview with Jamie Son. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner. As always, uh, it is a pleasure to be here and to bring some of the most exciting authors in the publishing world today. Today, we have Jamie Lee Sohn, uh, who has an amazing new release. It's called Salt House Place. It's been out for almost two weeks now. A brilliant, brilliant release um, for a debut. This is so much fun. Uh, I know you're going to love it. Salt House Place, available everywhere. We're going to have links to it in the show notes. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> well, th- well, thank you for taking time out of your busy ske- schedule to join us and, and talk books and writing. Um, I always like to start shows with, uh, with a fun kind of icebreaker question to get the conversation going. And one question that I absolutely love asking people is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Mm, so... One memory that sticks out for me, I think I was in a, it was definitely elementary school, but I think it was maybe, I want to say kindergarten or even first grade, but my elementary school had a poetry contest for each grade. And I remember I wrote a poem about dinosaurs Mm. and I won for my grade. And so part of that was you had to stand up in front of the school and recite your poem to the, to the school. And I did that and I loved it. And I think that was my first introduction to not only poetry, but writing and that kind of creative experience and then sharing your creative product with people. 
Um, and even though it was just about dinosaurs, I felt like it was bringing people joy and it brought me joy to create that. So that's kind of my earliest memory of wanting to be a writer. Love it. Um, do I understand right that you pursued uh, studying law and are, are now a practicing attorney? Yes. Yeah, so I so I did study law. I went to yeah. law school. Um, and it's funny, I was just talking to some friends about this. We were out at lunch and of the five of us at lunch, three of us were lawyers and we were all writers. We're all authors as well. And I think it's because when a, a younger person tells their parents or their teachers, I love writing, I think for a while the automatic response was, well, you should go to law school. You should be a lawyer yeah. for some reason. Um, so there's a, a lot of lawyers who are secretly authors, I think. Um, but yeah, I went to law school. I practiced in California. I am still barred in California um, as a practicing attorney. Uh, now I live in Seattle and I don't practice law per se, but I do write contracts. Gotcha. Very exciting. So, so like you said, I, I do believe that that um, that advice gets given to to kids all the time who have a love for storytelling or words. Do you think that that is valid advice that that practicing law is is a good profession? You know, we, we all hear, um, you know, follow your passion, but have a backup plan so that yeah. you can pay bills. And and I'm not mad at that advice. Um, you know, we all hear stories of people that, that are like, well, I never had a backup plan. I just went all for it. And that's wonderful. That's not the experience that most of us have had. Um, do, do you feel like that that's good advice, bad advice? Do you, how do you feel about it? I am a very cautious and pragmatic person by nature. Yeah. Um, so I really admire those people who can just, you know, live their passion without any backup plan. Um, yeah. but for me, I think having, having, um, a family that I need to like contribute to financially. Right. Um, it was definitely, yeah. Writing was definitely something I, um, found I had to do in my spare time, my evenings, lunch breaks, even, um, but going to law school, I think was a really wonderful experience just because it teaches you, um, you know, not only the mechanics of writing and it does teach you law. There is that. Um, yes, but it also teaches you analytical ways of thinking that I think did actually help me when it came to plotting or thinking about my novel. Um, but yeah, I think for me having a backup plan and having kind of that safety net, um, was important and I still, I still work full time. So well, what's funny is um, we've done like 1500 of these author interviews and out oh of those 1500, I can count on these two hands, the amount of people that writing was their sole uh, endeavor in life and that that's the only thing they ever focused on. And, you know, when I say the vast majority, I mean, the great vast majority mm -hmm. of people, you know, have writing as their passion, but not necessarily the thing that pays the bills. A, a lot of times they that, you know, does step into that place. But th there's something to be said for um, not putting that pressure on writing, you know, that, that the writing doesn't have to pay the bills. And 
in a way that does, um, you know, free up your creativity a lot of times to, to then let you pursue it in a way that, that it doesn't have to have all that weight put on it. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. We, we can talk the psychology of writing all day long, I guess. No, absolutely. For me, writing is a way to relax and a way yeah. to get out of the stresses of the day. So I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, when you're studying law, uh, it's like a seven years worth of college, I think, but only the last three are law school. Uh, I'm sorry, correct me, please. Well, it's, you get your undergrad, so you get your normal undergrad and then you, um, yes, apply to whatever law school you want to go to. Um, So you're correct. So the the undergrad, what what did you study for your undergrad? That's where I was going with all that. So I did a, a double major in psychology and anthropology, which basically meant I had to go to grad school <laughs> or law school or something. <laughs> but but it, it's funny because uh, anthropology and psychology is really the study of of humans and how we develop and how we interact with each yeah. other, which is kind of the perfect thing for for a writer to to kind of build out your toolkit when you're writing about people and you know the the uh the interesting interpersonal relationships and all that that's yeah you know that um i'll bet uh or did did you have any idea when you're going through that experience like oh these are things that i'm gonna put in my in my tool chest for that i'll you know that i'll refer to later in my writing career not at all. I had no idea. I just <laughs> I just found the subject interesting and I knew that um I wanted to I knew I didn't want to necessarily pursue a, a traditional career as far as like business school or yeah. you know, a lot of my friends were in uh, marketing and communications. And so I was squarely this kind of liberal arts um, subject, <laughs> which, you know, I, yeah. I had to do something. So I went to law yeah. school. So you finish college, you're practicing law, you get married, you start a family. When does writing come back around? Right. Yeah. So I was always kind of writing in the background, never really seriously. I would always start something not quite finished um, because I didn't really know how. And I think when I was working in um, New York City, my husband and I were living there at the time. I was, again, writing during my lunch breaks, writing in the evenings, writing where I could kind of get a chance. And that those years were when I started actually writing and envisioning and almost finishing my first novels. Um, and I would get close and then kind of not know where to go because I didn't really understand the mechanics and the structure of a novel properly. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know there was actually a way you structured a novel. So I would get to a certain point and not really know where to go and just kind of give up. Um, And then the pandemic happened and we had moved back to Seattle. Um, We had a young baby and for a lot of people, I think that was a time when 
you sat in your house and kind of reflected uh, on all those things that you wanted to do, but never quite had the time. And now you had all the time in the world. So I really sat down and decided I was actually going to finish a novel this time. Um, and I did. And it um, was not this one. It, it turned into it turned into um, one that was ultimately um, kind of shelved. Maybe I'll pick it up again someday. But um, that one was important because it gave me the confidence to understand that I, I could do it. I could finish it. And it was a learning experience. So from all the times that you've tried in the past and would get to a point where you just didn't know what to do or lost passion for it, or we've all been there, uh, you know, I, I am the king at writing first chapters. I can write an amazing first yeah. chapter. <laughs> You know, where it goes from there, you know, we can talk about that later. But um, so the pandemic happens and you sit down to write. What changed? What was it that other than having time and, you know, isolation and all, all of the stuff that that we all lived through a couple of years ago? What changed in your ability to make it through the difficult part and to see the end and and know how to get there? Yeah, that is a great question. So my short answer is sharing my work with other writers. Interesting. I had never been comfortable with sharing my work before. I had always been very secretive about being a writer. I don't know. It's something that is very, it's so personal, I think. And people yeah. with their art and their creative sides, it can be so, um, it can be a vulnerable thing to share yes. that, oh, I'm also a writer and I write fiction and I write maybe these um, darker thrillers, right? And it's it's just a very, it was so personal. I rarely shared it with people. Like my husband knew I wrote, but he didn't really know what I wrote. He just kind of knew that I, I wrote stuff in my spare time. So even he didn't really understand how passionate I was about this. So I went online and I was trying to research how, how do you structure a novel? How, you know, like what is the right way to go about this? And I found this really amazing writers community on Twitter. I ended up connecting with a couple um, writers who were actually in Seattle and we all kind of clicked. We all were looking for critique partners. And so the three of us formed a critique group and we, um, shared pages with each other and they were the first two people that I had ever shared my work with and their encouragement was key to my staying the path I think their encouragement was the, the number one thing but then also just the knowledge that they were willing to share with me and yeah. the the things that they were pointing me in the right direction and the things that they were sharing and the honest criticism that they were providing me and I was making myself open to receiving. Those were such, such game changers when it came to me finishing finally something that I thought this could be a book. Were, were there specific, um, things about writing mechanics that were unlocked for you there? Like, were there, uh, I guess what I'm asking is, um, you know, did, 
did you learn something then that helped you to not only make it through to the end, like in an inspirational sort of, but a, a story structure kind of thing? Were there things that were kind of unlocked and open to you there about the structure of stories? Yeah, absolutely. I think beats, the beats, beats. of the story. I didn't know those existed. I honestly didn't know there was, I knew there were all those things like a beginning, middle and end, but I didn't know that for a thriller, for example, there are specific, you know, a brush with death or a brush with authority. I didn't know those were actually things that had to happen kind of in the same portion or percentage um, of the book in order to make these structures work and in order to create that tension for the reader, I was just kind of, you know, working on vibes only (laughs) until that point. (laughs) So to discover there was actually like an outline and a beat sheet where I could really plot things out um, was mind blowing. (laughs) That was was a revelation. Was it difficult for you to think about the story that you were going to write and sort of plan it out? I, I think this is the part that really frustrates a lot of beginning writers. Is they're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen yet. How do I outline when I don't know what's going to happen? And then if I know what's going to happen, the thrill of writing it won't be there anymore. And it's not fun anymore. And aren't we doing this because it's fun? And like, did you wrestle with any of those, you know, the little games that we play with ourselves in our mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I, for Salt House Plays, when I started writing, I, the first two chapters that I wrote was the very first chapter and the very last chapter. And I will tell you from that very first kind of zero draft to the published novel, those chapters essentially remained the same. Wow. Um, It was everything in between connecting those first and last chapters that I really didn't know where I was going. Um, And so with, with Salt House Place in particular, because I did not have that knowledge of how to plot my beats or the structure of a thriller novel specifically, it was very much a, a creative discovery kind of process. And luckily I had my critique partners, I would give them pages and they would come back and say, I don't think if I know this character, like I think I know this character, I don't think they would actually react like this in this situation. And I would go back and, you know, really think about it. And I would realize, you know, you're right. You're right. I don't think they would either. And so not only discovering the story and the plot, but discovering my characters, I think, was was really interesting for me. Um, and I think to your point, you know, if you plot things out, because now with my my second novel, actually, I'm having to plot it out quite extensively. Um, and I'm finding that it doesn't take away the excitement of that kind of creative discovery because even though I have maybe my action beats down or I know, you know, they need to find a body in this chapter, I'm still discovering my characters and I'm still discovering those kind of relationships between characters. And I feel like I know these characters. I mean, I made them up. I should know them. Um, (laughs) But they they will still surprise me. And so that's still exciting for me. Yeah. The the story beats um 
uh, I, I think uh, for a lot of people, it's hard to wrap their mind around the fact that there are these existing structure elements that mm-hmm. are true across all things in a genre. And and on the surface, you would say, well, these are just formulaic. We, we know what's going to happen in anything that's on the shelves in this section. Um, but it, that's just... Um, those are just the elements that that make you familiar with with the genre, and then what you do within those parameters is is what makes it shine. Uh, did you Absolutely. ever think about uh, you know the 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 quote unquote formulaic sense of writing genre fiction, and how that doesn't necessarily have to constrain the story that you tell? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I grew up reading uh, Nancy Drew mysteries. Oh, yeah. That was I still somewhere in my parents garage in some boxes. I still have all of those like yellow and blue bound hardback Nancy Drew mysteries. And essentially every single Nancy Drew book is the same formula. But every single one really captivated me because it is how you tell the story and maybe the, the different elements or the different setting or the different characters you introduce. Um, so I think it is not necessarily formulaic. There is a formula, but I think um, the magic of writing is to not make it formulaic. It's to make a formula feel fresh and new. And even though the reader knows this is going to happen because if you're a reader of the genre, if you love thrillers, you know, you know, this is going to happen around the midpoint. There's going to be like a midpoint twist, right? You know, right. it's right. But you're still you have no excited. idea what it's going to be, but it's, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be, but you're still excited for it. Um, yeah. And hopefully, you know, you haven't guessed it, but even if you have, maybe you want to see how it's done. Um, yeah. So I think that that's not, you know, I love genre fiction and um, I think that the, the beats that make genre fiction what it is, um, that's what keeps bringing me back to those books is I like those elements of the story because I know what to expect, um, right. but it is still different each time. From your early love of Nancy Drew, um, was there a particular author or book that reignited your love of mysteries and thrillers and kind of opened the possibility that this is something that you could do or would want to try your hand at one day? Yeah. So, um, so yes, I read all the Nancy Drews when I was really young. And then in high school, this is like very apropos now that I think about it. I got really into John Grisham legal thrillers and I just thought they were the coolest things. And they were like, not really young adult. I feel like they weren't really written for young adult, though. I thought they were quite quite scandalous, I think, when I was reading them at the time. Um, so they were, they're quite good. And I think when I started writing again in my, in my um, kind of more adult years and writing what would eventually become, you know, my manuscripts and what would eventually come become Salt House Place, um, I really loved reading Andrea Barth's um, Megan Abbott. And I loved reading those because they were kind of harkening back to my memories of reading Nancy Drew, where you had these female protagonists. And it was more about 
the, I think Andrea Bartz always, um, coin like calls her books, um, feminist thrillers because it's really kind of focused on the female protagonist experience um, of the right. world on her. So I, I was really kind of inspired by that and thought, you know, maybe I could do that too. Yeah. Salt house place has a very, um, simple, but very provocative, um, uh, premise. Um, three friends spend the day together, go to this remote location, only two come out. And, you know, from there, the, the nuclear bomb goes off. Um, was that your, your first idea about this book? Was it that premise? Did, was it all kind of born out of the, the what if game, the three go in, only two come out. And then, you know, you, you start working out the puzzles from there. Yes. Yes, it was. And specifically what would what would happen if you had these two survivors essentially of this moment in their past what would you have these characters do if they were looking back in time as adults now looking back on that their teenagers when it happens but essentially a childhood memory and then they have a chance to maybe reconnect and find out the truth you know how would they how would they react? How would they go about it? Of course, the truth is very convoluted and there's a lot of steps we take to get there. Um, but yes, that, that was always my initial idea. Gotcha. When, when authors um, start developing characters, I've seen uh, kind of two main schools of thought. Um, one introduce the characters, drop them into the action, and then discover who the characters are through writing them and kind of judging how they would uh, react and respond to this or that. And then backstories develop when, you know, character traits start developing. And, you know, why would she respond this way? Well, it's because she has trauma from when she was four, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, and then some people like to really do extensive character work from the beginning before they write the first word and really develop, um, you know, whole biographies of these characters and, and, you know, work out their, you know, the psychological responses to everything. Um, where do you fall? How well did you know these characters before dropping them into this situation? So I think I fall into the first camp where okay. I, I have, I have a pretty good idea of these characters and who they are in the present but I don't have really a full backstory for them yet. And I think as I get to know them, that kind of emerges for me and that develops for me. Um, and sometimes it changes. <laughs> sometimes it'll, it'll evolve. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've never, I do know authors who will write like dossiers on their characters. You know, they'll have right. their favorite karaoke song, their favorite flavor of um, ice cream. But um, I do not do that. I kind of have a, have the character who I need them to be for me in, in this space of time that we know them within the story. And then um, my hope is they reveal themselves um, to me as I go deeper into their psyche and their world. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's giving away too much from the book. I, I think it's in some of the marketing material that there's uh, there's a uh, there's a cult that, that oh, pops yeah. up along the way. Which, oh yeah, it, uh, where, we're where very, did that idea come from? 
it's very much like, like she, well, the main character um, in kind of her search for this, the answer to this mystery from her yeah. childhood um, finds herself going to this wellness community on the Oregon coast. And yes, it's very, very much this place may or may not be a cult wink, wink. <laughs> um, so no, you're not giving away too much at all. Yeah. Um, so well, that, I think there are a lot of communities that are cult ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's pretty safe to say. I think all of us can imagine some group or organization that we all, you know, at dinner parties were like, boy, <laughs> sounds like the the multi-level marketing guy over here has joined the cult, you know? It- yes. So that is actually one of the inspirations um, from yes, or, uh, Artemis Wellness is the name of the wellness community that um, the main character finds herself kind of investigating and drawn into in Salt House Place. And in fact, the name of the novel Salt House Place comes from the Um, community itself. So the wellness retreat or the community on this, um, on the Oregon coast that Artemis is kind of um, working out of or housing the retreat in is called Salt House Place. So that is where the name of the book comes from. Um, But yeah, the inspiration came from a few different places. Um, It came from the the multi-level marketing world. Um, There's a podcast called The Dream and they do kind of a really fascinating deep dive into into that world and that culture and i was just mesmerized i could not get it out of my head honestly it was it's really fascinating to me to this day um and then another kind of real world influence was the uh, nexium story um that yeah that group um i watched many a documentary on that group and found it really fascinating and really just so insidious how you i am one of those people who think I could probably get pulled into a cult. A lot of people, a lot of people say I would never fall for that. I would never find myself in a cult. I could probably fully be tricked into joining a cult. Um, because I think it's, it's just so, it's so insidious. It just gets under your skin in a way that you never see happening. Um, So another kind of inspiration for the story was my main character is going to this place and she kind of already knows her eyes are wide open that something is not necessarily right with this group. She goes in full well knowing that they might try to pull her into something that she doesn't want to be a part of. And so how does someone who already knows something's not right how are they going to react in in this kind of isolated, um, exclusive place like that? Gotcha. So you you said earlier that you knew the beginning and you knew the end of the story, uh, mm-hmm. and then the middle, how they connect from the beginning of their journey to the end. Um, did was there a formal process? I, I know you talked about story beats, and um, w- was there a, a a formula that you followed? I, I hate to use the word formula, but um, was there a formal process of identifying what those were and kind of sketching those out before you started drafting in earnest, or um, 
you know, do are, are you the kind of person that because me, I, I like to write a chapter or two, kind of understand who my characters are. And I always have an idea of where I'm going. But as I discover those characters, maybe that ending becomes more solidified. And then when I kind of know all of that, then I can kind of firmly plan. How do you fall in that spectrum? I'm actually very similar. I'm very okay. similar. So um, with Salt House Place, I knew I wanted to get to certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew maybe, you know, in this chapter, I need to get here. Yeah. I wasn't really sure how I would get there. Um, and so I would just kind of start writing, see what happened, hope my characters got there on their own. Sometimes they didn't. And that was okay too. That ending to that chapter or that, um, that beat might change. Uh, so yeah, I'm, it sounds like I'm very similar um, in your, your way of doing that. I love it. Um, Salt House Place is published by Lake Union. Is that right? That is. And for for those who don't know, Lake Union is uh, is a publishing house owned by Amazon, um, which is uh, the the several uh, imprints they have now. Lake Union, 47 North, uh, Thomas and Mercer. I'm blanking on another one. Um, But you get the the. all of the benefit of a traditional publisher while also having the, the reach and the saturation of Amazon, um, which is amazing. And I've seen lots of great uh, books come out of their uh, publishing houses over the last few years. How has your experience been with Lake union? And I mean, it's your first published book and to, to come out of the gate with uh, a heavy hitter like that and have all of the ingrained tools and everything that, that Amazon have developed in the marketplace had to be pretty amazing. Yes, it, it really was. Um, I have had an amazing experience with them. Um, it's been, it's been really exciting and at times overwhelming. Um, you know, as a debut, I think, yeah, it's, it's just been fabulous. And I have an amazing editor and an amazing agent who, you know, really supported me and believed in me. And I just can't thank them enough because it's been a really, really fun um, and very rewarding experience that I'm very grateful for. That's great. I, I remembered something I, I meant to ask you a minute ago. When when you talked about getting that critique group together, um, I think that intimidates a lot of people because the word critique, they think, well, this person's just going to pick apart everything and tell me how horrible I am. Um, how do you find a critique group and get a um and, and have a good experience with it where it is where they're offering good advice. Uh, and also do you, uh, do you always feel compelled to take their advice? Um, I, you know, sometimes, you know, critique partners just don't get it. And what you're trying to do is just not getting across to them. And sometimes you have to kind of against you know, the advice that you get, stick with it. But how do you know the difference and when something's worth sticking to and when, you know, it's just not getting across? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a great question. Um, So I was so fortunate to have found these two critique partners and it was my first critique group I'd ever tried. And we happened to just really click. Um, we started out doing Zoom meetings, um, I think once every couple weeks. 
And then once we were able to, we have met in person a few times because we all live in Seattle. And I mean, they're just lovely human beings, um, but they're also very talented authors. And I think one thing that may be different, but really benefited us and myself was that we all write in different genres. So I write my thrillers. Um, one woman writes kind of women's fiction or romance. And the third writes fantasy. So we kind of all were coming at each other's manuscripts with me like more fresh eyes. Like we weren't necessarily super knowledgeable of everyone's genres, but um, as writers, as readers, we all trusted each other. Um, and it was also nice because we felt we weren't, you know, nitpicking or, you know, if I also write women's fiction, I, it, I didn't have to worry about her thinking, I was saying like, well, my women's fiction writing is better than yours. Cause I don't write that. Um, if that makes sense. Um, I think one thing is to really understand that hopefully that if you are in a critique group and you are honestly sharing your work, you're looking for honest feedback as well. Um, and you know, the ideal is that you are, opening yourself up to not, not meanness and not, um, you know, not insults or anything. I, you know, I, I have heard stories where people can be quite mean and that's not helpful at all. Um, but hopefully you're opening yourself up to constructive criticism, um, and knowledge that other people might be bringing to you. Um, and then as far as, choosing what to keep and what to ditch for (laughs) advice. I think you kind of just know. I think if, if both of my partners were saying the same thing, I definitely knew, okay, I need to think about this. Um, But there would be times where I would be sitting there and they would be arguing for 20 minutes about a line in my story and arguing whether or not, you know, it was doing what it needed to do. And at that point, I just, maybe I just left it and I sat with it for a while and who knows. So it's so, it's so subjective. Um, and so it's always your art, it's always your work and you need to do what feels right for you and what feels right for the story. One thing I had to, um, come to grips with is if, if I was really married to, um, uh, you know, a passage or a, a, a subplot or whatever, but they just weren't getting it. You know, um, I had to, to, to step back and say, well, maybe, um, maybe the thing I'm trying to do is, is right, but maybe I'm not doing it well enough. And if they can't, if I'm not conveying that feeling to them, um, they don't understand it. They don't get it, but maybe it's my fault for not putting it in a way that they can get it. And, and that's, you know, another way to approach feedback is maybe I'm not wrong, but maybe I'm just not doing it well enough for them to, to really catch what I'm trying to say anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're so close to your own work too, right? Like you live with your characters for so long and you're so familiar with 
your story and your words. And when you give it to someone who's maybe not as familiar, they don't have as much knowledge of of the story as you do and you maybe assume too much um so yeah i think that's a really good point you kind of just realize oh i need to i need to do maybe a a more thorough job of showing what i mean or telling what i mean here yeah yeah and uh if it wasn't hard they wouldn't call it killing your darlings you know that's oh my gosh i (laughs) Some of my darlings, I, yes, I just cried over. I still cry over some of my darlings I've cut. I love it. Um, so Salt House Place has been off your desk for a while now, if we understand how the publishing process works. What are you working on these days? Are you, are you working on another thriller? Yes, I am. I am. So I'm very fortunate that Lake Union has actually um, already um purchased my second novel. Nice. So that will nice. be coming out um, next fall, oh, about a year from now. And it is another thriller. It's called Always the Quiet Ones. And it will be set in a law firm. It's about two millennial women lawyers. And it's kind of a, a twisted take on strangers on, on a train. So... Mm. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to see <laughs> what you do with that. That's going to be so much fun. Salt House Place is available everywhere now. Go grab it at your local bookstore. If you don't have a great local bookstore, we'll put links in the show notes where you can grab it in, in hardcover or Kindle edition or audiobook. I have not had a chance to listen to the audiobook yet. Have you? I have listened to a lot of it. Um, yeah. I actually had the great privilege of listening to some um, voice actors to actually choose a narrator. And nice. um, the the voice actor we went with, Denise, is amazing. She just, oh my gosh, she just embodies the book so well. And yeah, my sister has listened to the entire audiobook because she only listens to audiobooks <laughs> and she loves it. Um, so yeah, I have to finish the entire thing, but it's really good. It's very immersive. Great. We'll put links uh, to the Audible version as well. Salt House Place available everywhere now. Jamie Lee Sohn, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.